Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area, one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which I go more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karyanis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org or by subscribing via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Aronian, the principal of Aronian Education Design, LLC, a full-service education design firm which creates irresistible environments and content for children and families in private and public venues. Dr. Aronian earned her doctorate in education at Teachers College in, at Columbia, from which she also received two master's degrees, one in English education and another in education. She considers all places learning spaces, and the dynamic energy of her work reflects this philosophy. Dr. Aronian has worked in the art, design, and education fields for over 30 years and is an award-winning educator. She is widely considered an expert on education and parenting. Her columns on the topic appear regularly in a broad range of newspapers, and her work has been featured in international publications, including Parents Magazine, where she was featured in their 2015 back-to-school issue. Welcome to the One Move at a Time podcast, Dr. Karen Aronian. So great to be here with you, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So we met at the National K-12 Championship in Orlando this past December. Uh, You were there with your your two kids, Laurel and Jack. Uh, Talk about how they got into chess and if you had any personal involvement in the game before they got started. Sure. We began chess together. Chess was sort of sparked um, in our home in the sense that my husband played chess, uh, both of his parents played chess, and I did not play chess. I was an outdoor girl who grew up in a background where all games were played outside. So when my children were very young, um, there was a precociousness with math, and um, I happened to be in a a large store one day and was going around the aisles with my son and I was actually holding him. That's how young he was. And he was naming off the different rows of the aisles as we walked. And a person came up to me and said, my goodness, that's really interesting. He has such a strong math sense. Have you considered chess? And, uh, you know, the light bulb went off and I you know, tuck that into my, my uh, files of um, things I wanted to do with my children. And shortly thereafter, um, honestly, it was so very young that I found a local instructor and I started chess with my children. Uh, so chess was, you know, it was introductory tra- chess. So for obviously for people in the family that are 
more advanced and that type of thing. I wanted to begin with them. And that's a Suzuki methodology, the idea that learning, always learning and learning with your children is really going to ignite that spark. And we began with a, a local woman who knew the game and was very patient and you know we learned the names of the pieces and you know just had a very natural organic start with her and then bringing the game into our environment into our home and uh, just you know just as much as you know you go out and you start sort of walking and talking and playing games you know, this is one of the things that we started to instill. Um, so fast forward, uh, my children learned the game. They were interested in the game. And when my daughter, Laurel, began kindergarten, her school offered a after-school chess club. And she started in that after-school chess club with a great coach um, who oversaw the team and is still active in national chess and uh, interscholastic chess. And she really enjoyed it. And he's a dynamic teacher. There's a lot of momentum. And my son followed suit. So they, you know, began to really enjoy, this, enjoy the game and, um, and enjoy their time in the game. And the camaraderie, all that chess brings. You know, it's just a tremendous uh, game and unifier. My daughter, to this day, if you ask her, you know, what do you like about chess? She'll say the culture, which, you know, really um, shows you the, uh, the breadth and the reach of this game. And it really touches so many areas of, you know, our, our life. And uh, so, uh, again... She went on to do a little bit of competitive chess um, at that time, kindergarten through third grade, and then she switched schools. And the school that she came into did not offer a chess program. And there was a little bit of drop-off at that time. Uh, my Jack had also come out to play an introductory tournament. and uh, But during that time, the two of them, I would say we're on a slight pause. It wasn't an every day. And then something very much um, kicked off their curiosity again. We went to a chess competition that involved the grandmasters. And this excited them very much. And they were inspired to really reactivate. Uh, when they came back to their school, some of the parents we, you know, were asking, can we start an after-school chess program? They did bring someone in, and the kids, um, you know, joined and really enjoyed it. And from there forward, um, their trajectory has continued. Um, once again, they... Uh, they changed from elementary into middle school. And at their current school, there wasn't a chess club for the middle school. And each of my children started a chess club within the school um, for fifth and sixth grade and then for seventh grade. 
And so, you know, they've um, been enjoying, again, the culture and what, when you found us down at Chess Nationals, that was our second time in Orlando, going to Chess Nationals and uh, competing at Chess Nationals. And uh, they've just, you know, flourished. They've flourished in the sport and they've flourished, um, again, in the culture that it provides. A few things you said in there raised some questions that I, I, I think your uh, our, our listeners will be especially interested to hear a professional educator address from your personal ex- combined with your personal experience. And you talked a little bit about how uh, they they kind of backed off a, a little bit. And sometimes a child who shows interest and talent in chess decides sometimes seemingly on a whim to not want to play anymore. Uh, talk about when a parent should push a kid a bit and when you should maybe just back off and let the kids set their own pace. Obviously, with everything, education and the framework of educating our children and learning, it's so individual, it's so personalized. And with our own children, we really have to read them well. We really have to listen to them. Um, it's, it's key to, you know, sort of take in the feedback engage and you know we all go through you know different things in life where at times um you have to take a break uh you have other things happening and as you mentioned and as i said there was a time where we had a brief sort of pause in you know how forward we were moving in chess and the beauty of that is, you know, you've learned to ride the bicycle, so you can get back on, and it's going to be with you, and it's always going to be somewhere in your card catalog. It's it's there, and it's working for you and for your children. Um, there are so many benefits, cognitive, social, emotional, learning and benefits of chess. Um, that they're going to enrich a child's life always and into their adulthood, obviously, going forward. Those breaks can be very restorative. You know, um, to come back to a game or to have someone ask you if you know how to play chess at some point and to be able to show up is is phenomenal. It's like, uh, you know, you're on vacation and and they're having a get-together on the tennis courts. And you can. You might have not played for a year, but you still have your skill. And you can come back out and reignite it. So that's, that's just a beautiful aspect of the game. It's truly, you know, a language that you can access always. And in the case of reading your children and knowing when um, it's, okay to step back, uh, whether they're going through something academically or um, they have a lot of after-school activities that limit their ability to play chess, you know, required, some schools require after-school activities, or they have another interest that's percolating. These things all work together. Um, There is this... uh, they go hand in hand. They're building blocks. So one thing is going to feed another. 
if a child's playing soccer and they have a very intense schedule with travel soccer, and perhaps they're also playing soccer for their school, then at that time, they may be playing that sport, soccer, intensely. And maybe casually playing chess once in a while. The two feed each other. Um, they feed each other in the immediate sense. So I'm a big proponent of, you know, sort of if you can get daily exercise and that oxygen is so key for sort of fueling your cognitive gains. Um, or, you know, your, if, you, if you have, obviously, if children have their homework, the importance of physical activity. Um, but again, it, it feeds it in the long run, too. The games and how you work on the field is similar to how you work on the board. And that strategy, those tactics, um, being aware of, you know, how you get to your goal. So, um, with again, if you take a step back from chess, for, for a time being, um, you know, you hold that thought. You know, um, I'm, I'm a big sort of believer that you will see this game again, and you have to follow your children's lead. Nothing should ever be a push. Um, things, learning should be joyful foremost. And uh, there are, these, these games, um, these sports, skills in life, um, are, it's wonderful for parents to open windows and doors for their children and at the same point, let them, you know, go through those doors and those windows together to, in, in what, where they are and when they're ready. And then, um, follow them and uh, you can always kick off again just as I had mentioned we went to see the single field tournament very accessible or if you go to see the women's uh, cons tournament in St. Louis or if you go to see collegiate chess uh, where you live you go to a college and you see the chess team or the chess club play um, there's so many opportunities to, again, kick off the sport at a later time. So those breaks can be very restorative, and then you can come back with renewed vigor. So, again, it's, it's forever. And in a, a related vein, uh, Lauren, as a middle schooler, is now at the age where we see a very sharp drop-off of girls' participation in chess, where... Uh, in elementary ages, it's very much a 50-50 proposition, but in middle school, it, it, it's like it drops off a cliff. Do you see any sign of that with her? And has she ever talked about being a girl in chess and, and playing against the boys? Well, I would, I would say that with regard to how she perceives herself in general, she's a competent human being and... She certainly, you know, she's a girl, but at the same point, the way that she shows up to all activities and all sort of challenges and, you know, her pursuits, she just shows up. Um, she has always been a person who saw boys and girls equally. Uh, and I would say that, you know, that, that, 
that does happen in the home. There, there is a degree of conditioning and environmental um, work that frames that. And, you know, I would hope that I have um, been a part of that uh, guidance where we're just going out to play our best game. And it's regardless of who's in front of you. And we're going out, you know, and that, that's in all aspects of all sports and all activities. And uh, so, yes, it can be, um, there is a, uh, uh, it's certainly a, a woman or in the minority within the game. However, you know, she's always enjoyed the camaraderie of all players. And uh, it's not been something that we necessarily focus on. However, lately, we've really enjoyed the different offerings that are coming out of the United States Chess Federation that are oriented to girls. We are, you know, big fans of the girls' room that um, has been offered at the um, tournaments and she also is enjoying the blogs and different offerings that are done through the United States Chess Federation. Um, I know she's looked at, um, listened to Jennifer Shahadi's, um, uh, she's listened to Jennifer Shahadi's, uh, Knight's podcast. Um, so she will look at many of the different players and be inspired by them. Uh, having Jennifer Yu come to the Orlando ma uh, matches down in Orlando for the Nationals was very inspiring. Having women grandmasters um, speak about their games. Uh, grandma uh, uh, the uh, women's uh, grandmaster... Blanco, she did a piece on Spanish with chess and girls. All of these things um, really bring about that community. And uh, it's fun for the girls. And this year she hopes to come to the uh, Girls Nationals in Illinois in April. So it's just a beautiful, wonderful addition. Uh, however, Laurel's mindset has always been about you know, just enjoying the person in front of her, regardless of their gender. So, let's pivot a little bit in, uh, to to your specific professional areas, uh, where I, I'm especially attracted to your idea of creating irresistible uh, learning environments in in the home and. On another podcast, uh, the Teachers College Smarter Parenting and Grandparenting podcast series that I listened to, uh, you were introduced with, we, we've been mindful in creating our home environment, and is it an ideal place to learn, explore, and stretch possibilities? Just as schools, museums, and libraries do, we can create optimal learning spaces that speak to our children's development and maximize their creative potential. So how, what would that look like for a chess parent? Yes. Uh, for me, it's like the environment is working together with your genetics and with your conditioning. All places are learning spaces. So if you're thinking about getting your children into chess and they're very young, you, you would bring, you know, the game into your home and you would hopefully offer it in a way that 
created a lot of joy and interest. Um, with all aspects of education, with all aspects of skills and skill building, you know, the idea is to create invitations. So if your child is young and you want to bring in the chess into their life, you could, when they wake up for breakfast and you put out a bowl of fruit, you might want to put a chess piece next to their fork or their spoon and or next to their glass of water. And then you might want to hide underneath the plate, you know, the name of that chess piece. And if they can't, or on the bottom of the chess piece, and maybe they can't say the word yet, but you can show them the word. You can sound out phonetically the letters. Um, you could create a uh, you could create a scavenger hunt within your house with the pieces, and uh, that and and leading that child to each of the pieces, and then bringing them back to the board and matching them up with other pieces or the names so creating games and creating fun always everything with joy everything with uh, you know igniting that curiosity and that spark and always creating um spaces that invite the children into joyful play so it's organic it's natural and um as children, you know, grow up, changing the way that uh, perhaps you display chess. So could you create together, as my husband did with my son, a human-sized chess board? So they went to Home Depot, they bought uh, the... Um, the floor pieces that are made out of a... Uh, uh, it's not, uh, it's some sort of material, I want to say, uh, that you lay down for flooring, okay? And they were able to find the black and, and the white and to lay out a board and uh, research how to get, you know, the chess pieces. And, you know, they created a board um, and that added another layer of fun and obviously an activity they could do together. And the idea that you could make chess boards on the floor with paint, with chalk outside during summer months, creating a chess board um, out of paper, uh, creating a magnetic chess board for the wall and putting uh, magnetic pieces on the bottom, and uh, just bringing the game beyond your regular board. And on, on that podcast, it, it was also interesting to me, you, you were talking about infant nurseries and uh, making it a, a dynamic learning environment as well, that you shouldn't use pastel colors. And you weren't specifically talking about raising chess players, but one of the things you mentioned was having a checkerboard pattern uh, would be very interesting to an infant once they can see that distance. Right. Um between the ages of zero to three months, children really see in high contrast and that the eye is developing. And in looking to uh, bring out 
the child's um, natural ability to see, we are hoping to enhance that environment. And what you can do, and and I I'm really glad you you um, brought brought this into the conversation. And black and white checkerboard is um, creating that visual stimulus that they need to have that high contrast in order to bring out the eye's ability to see. And it would be wonderful and wondrous, you know, to keep that in mind if you want to create a nursery that is going to benefit their vision and bring them, you know, you're going to stimulate and enhance their ability to see earlier on. And, uh, of course, you know, that's just getting all the machinery working. And that's what we're, you know, looking to help them with, with early childhood development. And uh, the change is to primary colors from three months to six months. So when you start with the black and white, you could consider that you could create a mobile of chess pieces. I mean, obviously that's for a super chess enthusiast, but it does accomplish the the goal of, of um, creating uh, the visual pathway that will lead to learning and literacies and early childhood development you just made me think of an idea for a contest so so listeners if any of you have created a chess mobile uh, we, we would love to see the pictures and please send it to podcast at uschess.org uh, we'll, we'll include that on our website um, that, that actually sounds like a, a great little project uh, for for kids to create in in art classes and uh, as a fun extra activity in chess clubs Certainly, certainly. Um, you know, those are just beautiful mobiles that you could make, um, which, you know, brings the idea of, of chess as not only an art, but as, you know, beautiful artwork to, to see. Uh, I know that the Chess Museum in St. Louis has um, had phenomenal, beautiful art installations of chess boards that are created by artists. And, you know, it really harks back to Alexander Calder and how he worked with black and white in primaries. And uh, those colors were used in uh, the, the uh, primaries were used in the circus, which was a huge, uh, uh, inspiration for his work and um you know that's just just timeless um way of of giving the eye beauty and and stimulus since we were talking a bit about infants and nurseries i'm curious about your professional opinion on what age is appropriate for introducing chess because we we start our national championships at the kindergarten level which people outside of the chess world are often very shocked to hear that there's kindergartners playing chess at such a high level and there's even a company out there that's teaching chess to three-year-olds using a story-based approach do you have any particular uh, opinions on this sure i have seen um the different um, methodologies and pedagogies involving early childhood chess. And I, you know, again, it really is a personalized, individualized uh, decision about when you start uh, the game with your children. 
um, if you can begin it organically, again, things done with, with family and parents, um, it's a wonderful start. You know, I, I don't think we limit ourselves, uh, at this point with anything. And I, <laughs> I have to say that, uh, I believe we can access so much so early. So, uh, be mindful of, of, of how you present, um, games and activities and learning. And I, I, I want to always say again that the togetherness, the joyful aspect um, of how we go about things um, is how things get absorbed organically and, you know, create a, a love of learning. So I would say if, they, if, if you bring them out and you sort of test bed um, at a local chess club in a short version of perhaps a tournament, maybe the tournament's not even rated or they're starting a chess club at their preschool or at the library or at the rec, um, through the recreation department in a town. You can really, um, uh, use those, um, opportunities to see if that's the right time for your child. Um, and then if it isn't, then you can, again, come back to it at a later time. It's there for you because of the United States Chess Federation. It is there, again, to access at a later time um, when, when perhaps um, they're peaked if they want to do um, competitive chess. One of our stated goals at U.S. Chess is to increase the use of chess in education, and that's a key component of us being a 501c4 nonprofit. And one of our core values is that we promote the transformative power of chess for lifelong personal growth. Does this resonate with you as an educator? Tremendously. I think it's a wonderful mission, and it is it is a very special game slash sport activity um there are so many aspects of the game that sort of uh you know bleed into other areas of life and enrich life and the the education aspect um i'm a big proponent of of chess being um accessible to all students all children there are countries and there are um, uh, boards of education and there are schools that have made chess requisite and they have seen the the growth um, with regard the bleeding over into academics that um, naturally unfolds when you play a strategic game like chess and it is it is you know able to enhance children's focus it's in it's able it enables children to uh, be able to sit for long periods of time and uh, strategize about how to move forward it builds grit which is, you know, an underpinning of all learning. Um, the the idea that you you might make a move that isn't to your benefit on the board, but if you stay the course, you could 
change the course of the game and wind up winning. Um, again, if you lose in chess or you win in chess, you um, are uh, enhancing good sportsmanship and you have the ability to come back again and play again. Um, usually, you know, what's nice about competitive chess or chess after school where you play multiple games or rec chess is you recognize that you're not going to win all the games and yet you come out again to play again and you are bettered each time if you have lost you could you you learn and then you repeat uh so i'm a big believer in chess in all education uh programs i I think it's wonderful that some school systems and some schools, independent schools, and uh, are, are rolling out chess um, for all students and making it accessible. I like the fact that you used uh, grit as a, as a benefit of chess because as I've gotten older uh, and further along in my career, it, it seems to me that grit is the number one predictor of someone's success in any endeavor. True, true, and. And um, it is, um, it's, a, it's a lesson, you know, that has to be practiced. And this game naturally offers that practice. So, um, you know, for children um, that are starting out and it, you, you think about it, if you go out and you, again, you play competitive chess or you play chess after school, uh, usually you have more than one game. You have several games um, because they unfold rather rapidly when you're young and you're beginning. Um, however, if you watch competitive chess um, and uh, grandmaster chess or collegiate chess, again, they have multiple games. And this is not always the case with, say, a tennis match or a soccer game or a baseball game. It's one and done. And that's the day's work. But with chess, you uh, generally have a few games that are played in one uh, time frame. And therefore, you have the ability to win, lose, or draw and begin again. When you look at our organization, U.S. Chess, critically through your professional lens, what do you think U.S. Chess could be doing better? What do you think we're doing particularly well? Well, I, I have to say I would want to do a bit more research before I, you know, give a, a firm overview and, you know, make uh, comprehensive suggestions. But what I do see is a great outreach. I see that um, there, it's, it's very organized. If you come out for competitive chess, um, the... Tournaments are very well organized. I think that they there is a uh, recognition that children are inspired by uh, celebrities in chess. So if there there's always a grandmaster who's brought into the national atmosphere um, at, at at junior chess nationals. So that the children are inspired and the parents too are receiving information and education about how to proceed with chess, um, how to 
go forward if you want to play chess internationally, um, which is a phenomenal opportunity. Um, my children had that um, opportunity and enjoyed being in another culture and seeing chess as an international language, making connections with other children and then being able to play those children online again. So that that's a wonderful aspect. Um, and again, so going, um, looking at, at the United States Chess Federation, I think the podcasts are wonderful. I've shared those with my children. Um, I think they're very inspirational. And um, really just keeping people informed about uh, what's happening in the world of chess, which, you know, every day there are headlines and so many chess, um, uh, competitive chess uh, tournaments to follow and to be inspired by. And again, um, creating the culture around chess and again, bringing in um, uh, the aspect of, of a place for women and for girls to flourish and to have a space of their own to grow chess. So I think um, the United States Chess Federation is doing a phenomenal job and, uh, and uh, continuing the outreach um, is um, uh, a wonderful mission. Well, getting that kind of praise as an organization is probably a good place for me to to leave this, <laughs> leave off on this particular show. Um, so, Dr. Ronin, if there's someone who's wanting to reach you, uh, what's the best way for them to contact you? The best place to contact me is at drkarenaronian.com. That's um, D-R-K-A-R-E-N-A-R-O-N-I-A-N.com. And we'll have that on our website as well, on the show notes, readers. So, Dr. Aronian, thank you so much for joining us on this January edition of One Move at a Time. This has been a fun and informative discussion. Thank you, Dan. Great speaking with you. Thank you for listening to One Move at a Time. Our theme music was composed by Alex King, a national master who lives in Memphis, Tennessee. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit with an educational mission. You can find more information about us at uschess.org, where you can become a member by clicking on the Join button, and you can donate to our cause by clicking on the Donate button. I hope that you have learned something new about how to build chess within your community. Join us next month for another Chess World personality and more good ideas.